God doesn't need me to defend him. And God does not need me to try to convince you to come back. Because if God does need me to try to convince you that this is worth it or that you should listen or that this church is is a good thing, if God needs that, we are in serious trouble. Uh, He doesn't need me to defend him and Because if he does, then he's not enough. And if his death and his resurrection aren't enough, then we're up the creek without a paddle, or whatever phrase you would like to insert there. Needless to say, we're in deep trouble. Uh, So today, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Even Jesus himself, we find him in the Gospels, and not very often do we find him trying to convince people to think about what he's saying. He usually states the reality of the situation, and then he says, come and follow me. Uh, and for those that had other things to do, me, you know, namely the rich young ruler and a few others, he lets them go. Bottom line is this. Today I'm not going to convince you, I'm not going to beg you, I'm not going to try to persuade you to do anything. But we believe and I believe that something is true and something has happened in the resurrection of Jesus and I'm here today to basically just announce what I think is true. To say, this is what this community is centered around. This is what it means to be a part of Awake. And this is central to this community. And what it means to be a part of this church is the death and the, re- the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I'm just going to say, here's what we think is true. Here's what we believe. And here's what we can know if the resurrection actually happened. If it's true that a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, died on a Roman cross, and then actually physically resurrected from the dead, not some sort of swoon technique where he faked it, and then he's like, ah, just kidding, or nobody moved his body, any of that kind of stuff. If it's really actually true that Jesus died and then came back to life, then what do we know is true about the world and about us and about Jesus himself because of that fact? So that's what we're about to do today. Open to Matthew 28 if you have not yet. And I want to read from, this is the last chapter of Matthew's gospel. And of course he talks about the resurrection. So uh, if you would stand with me and we'll read a few, few verses here. Says this in verse 1 After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. Which is an interesting spot for an angel to be, just sitting on a stone. He appeared, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and, t- and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him and now I have told you. And so the women hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. God, as we open up your scriptures and we hear them and now study them and try to understand a a few more things about what we learn, what we know is true because of resurrection, I ask that by your spirit, you would say whatever you need to say to each one of us. Uh, God, I've spent some time preparing some things, but I ask that you would get me out of the way to do what you need to do in this room this morning. As we, as we listen, as we uh, think about, as we discuss, and as we sing, gather our hearts around this idea, I pray that you would make yourself known to each one of us in the exact way that we need it today. We pray in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. So Matthew 28 is this great chapter at the end of Matthew's gospel where he describes some things that happen about the resurrection of Jesus. So first and foremost, I think we can learn that Jesus can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted because of the resurrection, because Jesus isn't still in the ground, because he's alive, because he came back from the dead. We learn that this guy, Jesus, that said all of these things and that we've seen, maybe seen pictures of, probably bad renditions. Have you guys seen the Clairol version, by the way? You know, the wind in the back and the blue sash and that whole deal. Uh, Get that out of your mind. Jesus, the real Jesus, uh, can be trusted. If you turn back to Matthew 16, 21, if you want to write some of these things down, and Matthew 20, 17, these are two other examples where Jesus basically says to his disciples, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests. They're going to try me, kill me, and I'm going to be buried. And then three days later, I'm going to come back from the dead. He says it in very plain probably Aramaic or Greek at that point, but in our version, English. It's very, very clear that what Jesus said would happen actually happened. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will rebuild it. We could go on and on. I could cite a whole bunch of different ones, but exactly what Jesus said would happen did happen. You need to know this morning that Easter and the resurrection confirms and says very loudly and clearly that Jesus can be trusted. Now, trust is a fickle thing, is it not? Trust is a really interesting thing. I'm guessing, I don't know all of you, I don't know your stories, I don't know where you've come from, the backgrounds that you have, but I would say if the stats are true, that many of you sit in the seats that you're in right now with wounds in your past. Wounded hearts, wounded spirits, you've experienced something where someone that should have been able to be trusted did not come through or hurt you in some way, and therefore you have a wound, you have a scar, you have something in your story, in your past, that would lead you to believe that somebody who is supposed to be able to be trusted maybe couldn't be, or maybe made a bad choice. Trust is a very interesting thing. My guess is you've been let down, walked out on, stabbed in the back, and what... What really breaks my heart as a pastor is that I know that many of these wounds have come from people who either were supposed to represent God or were somehow connected to church and religion and Christianity. And so you have somebody who is supposed to represent or be some sort of a connection to church, Jesus, and and Christianity, and they've walked out on you, stabbed you in the back, hurt you, and now now, now I, we, have this baggage connected to Christianity and church and religion, and many of us in this room and outside of this room are a bit gun-shy about what the church says and about what Christians say. That just, it breaks my heart and makes me really, really angry. Because resurrection says that Jesus can be trusted, that what he said would happen would happen. 
So can I challenge you this morning, if you can, and this is a really, really difficult thing to do, and oftentimes it takes a long time, and I don't want to minimize the journey, but can I challenge you to differentiate between those who have hurt you and Jesus himself? Part of the reason we started this community, part of the reason we started Awaken, is because I'm convinced that our culture and our world desperately needs authentic Christian communities to help repair some of the damage that's been done in, in the last 50, 100, who knows how many years that the church and Christianity has done in the name of Jesus. I recognize that some of you are here this morning and maybe, maybe church has kind of been something you've pushed away or not been willing to be a part of because of X, Y, or Z. Can I challenge you to think deeply about resurrection and what it actually means that Jesus came back from the dead? And I would offer to you that it's he who can be trusted. Not pastors, not the church, not your parents, not your brothers and your sisters, not even your own family to this degree. Now, I'm not saying, you know, be super jaded and withhold love and trust from everybody in your life, okay? Because that's a miserable way to live, right? And that's not what I'm encouraging you to do. But what I'm encouraging you to think about is at the end of the day, Friends, family, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, we make mistakes and we let one another down. But there is one who stands unflawed and unblemished, who is not dead anymore. And resurrection says Jesus, if nothing else, can be trusted. I think if you go on and you look at verse 7 of this chapter, uh, chapter 28, it says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you in, into Galilee. I think we can say that, G, that God, Jesus, is not static, but that he's actually on the move. Uh, a lot of times when we think about church and we think about God, uh, we think about the fact that God doesn't move, that he doesn't change, that he's, he's unchangeable, this unmoved being, which is true in one sense, but I think we can also look at it from another angle and say that God is on the move and he's at work in the world. One of the things I've learned in some of my travels, and I saw it again in Africa t- uh, last week when I was there, but I heard this idea that missionaries, uh, you know, they would come to the church when I was a kid and they would talk about being missionaries and that kind of thing, and there was this general sense that that it was never really explicitly said this way, but it's the sense that missionaries go somewhere and they bring the gospel to this place and they tell people about Jesus, right? So it's like they bring God there. Over and over and over again, every time I've been on a mission trip, whether it be to, to Jamaica or Mexico or Kosovo or Africa, what I find when we arrive, when we get off the plane, we get to where we're going, what we find when we arrive is that We're not bringing God anywhere, but actually God is already there at work in the world. If you believe anything anything true about the story of Acts and the church, we find that God is at work in the world, and oftentimes he's way out ahead of the church. it's, It's hilarious when you read the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, there's a guy named Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. God comes to him in a dream and says, this guy Peter is going to come to you. And then God gives Peter a dream and says, you should go to Cornelius. And this is a real uh, taboo. This is because Jew-Gentile is very separate at this point in in time. So this all happens and Peter goes to Cornelius and everybody's like, wait a second, what in the world? This can't be happening. He's He's a Gentile. He's a Roman centurion for crying out loud. He's of the same group of people who are oppressing and have their thumbs on the Jewish people in Jerusalem. This cannot be true that God would be working in this guy's life. 
And they do a couple checks, and they're like, well, the Spirit of God is here, and this and that, yeah. Sure enough, God's here, way out in front of the apostles. In Acts chapter 15, you have uh, Peter uh, and and the apostles trying to collect this, this offering for the the church back in Jerusalem, and uh, uh, all the Gentiles are, you know, coming to know Jesus in the churches, and, and <laughs> they tell the Gentiles who are coming to know Jesus, they're like, hey, you know what? Now that you know Jesus, you know what you have to do, don't you? Because we're Jewish. You see what's coming, right? And on the eighth day when we were little kids, what happened? Yeah, right? They circumcised us. So if you're going to follow Jesus, guess what? All the Gentiles, line up, because we're going to get out the clippers, and we're going to start doing some circumcision here. We're going to start covenanting you people, right? And all the Gentiles are like, you have got to be kidding me. This is absolutely ludicrous. You can't mean that. And so they're like, well, yeah, if you're the covenant people of God, this is how it works. This is how it's always worked. This is what God, all the way back to Abraham. Come on, think about it, right? And the Gentiles are like, no way. And so the church in, in Jerusalem has this debate. They're going back and forth, and they're like, how could the Spirit of God be actively pursuing and welcoming in Gentiles? And sure enough, that's exactly what's happening. God's Spirit is way out in front of the apostles, way out in front of the people who are supposed to be representing God. God is not static. He is on the move, and he's doing something in the world. I, uh, there's this guy named Dan Kimball. He's a pastor of a church in California. And I got, I got a hold of this video one time where he goes out on the street and does like man-on-the-street interviews, like Jay Leno. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, like who's the president of the United States? Did you guys ever see that one, by the way? That was hilarious. They're like, so... Uh, um, Barack Obama's running partner, uh, Sarah Palin, has all these views about this. What do you think about that? And they're like, oh, I love Sarah Palin. She's awesome. I think her and Barack are going to be awesome together. <laughs> right, hey, how's it going? And they never actually tell him. They're just like, oh, interesting. Okay, great. So Dan Campbell goes out and he does these man-on-the-street interviews, and he says these two questions. He says, what do you think about Jesus? And people are like, oh, Jesus, amazing teacher, wonderful guy, ethics, principles, uh, you know, amazing, amazing, uh, la, 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 la. They have no problems with Jesus. The second question, the follow-up question, uh, what do you believe, or what do you think about the church and Christians? Oh my gosh, you would not believe the things that, they, that you hear. Uh, the church and Christians, old, boring, decrepit, outdated, antique, traditional, out of touch, uh, antiquated, uh, um, what's the word, uh, you know, like cave people, you know, uh, what, what? Yeah, that, okay? (laughs) All these terribly negative things about the church and about Jesus. And here's the thing, guys. God can and may be found in our traditions, our liturgies, our hymns, our songs, the things that we do as Christians. But he is not bound by them. And God is at work in the world, redeeming, rescuing all that has gone astray, all that has gone wrong. The angel says to Mary, he's not here. So Mary goes looking for Jesus in the place that she thinks he would be, in the tomb, because he's dead. And the angel says, Mary, he's not here. He's exactly where you would never dream him to be, alive, eating fish, hanging out with your friends. For those of you who have been turned off by God and by church and some of the things that you have heard, seen, experienced, I have good news for you. The resurrection says he's probably not there. The places where you have thought, this cannot be what Jesus is about. This cannot be what the Bible is about. This cannot, you're probably right, he's not there. (laughs) 
The resurrection says that Jesus can be trusted and that he's on the move. He is at work in the world. And this church longs to, is trying to say to God, where are you at work in the world and how can we join you? Because we believe that he may be here when we meet and we gather, but he may not be when we're not. This, well, this is a bad example, right? Because it's a comedy club. But, um, you know, regular old church buildings with steeples and bells and the whole deal, you know? We go there to get God. We go there to experience church. We go there to do worship. And we go there and we bring our friends there because that's where God is. Wrong answer. God is at work. He is loose in the world and he's up to all kinds of good, inviting the church to be a part of it. Resurrection says that with a definitive statement. I think it also says that the heart of resurrection is longing and anticipation. Look at verse 8 of chapter 28. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. There's a juxtaposition for you. Terrified and yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell their disciples. Have you ever been? Uh, have you ever been at a point in your life where you were just longing for something, where you were anticipating something to happen? When I was in college, I was dating Laura, my wife, and uh, she's more beautiful today than she was then. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Without the little dance, that may have actually been good, but now I've wrecked it. <laughs> um, so she goes away for a summer, and she studies in Europe uh, for a whole summer. She goes on this mission trip at school, and then she, she, she leaves uh, the, the mission trip people. They all come back, and she travels through Europe and uh, does summer school at Oxford. I am absolutely head over heels, smitten, whipped, broke, whatever you want to call it for this girl. I mean, I am just... Gaga, right? I am in love with this lady. And uh, she leaves for like three months. I mean, that's a long time when you're, when you're right in... Do you guys remember, those of you who have a spouse or who have fallen in love, do you remember what that was like? It is like electricity just like zoinks right through you. I mean, all the time, you know? Take your breath away. Wow! That kind of thing. And then it's gone. It's like you've had love heroin and you can't have it anymore. So she's gone all summer long. And <laughs> you know what I did? She had a box of stuff that she had left uh, that I was, it was under my care. Now, I would not recommend this, but I totally opened it. I went rooting around through all of her stuff, and there were like uh, one of the soaps that she used, you know, in the shower was in there, and I would just smell it. Because, hey, 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 I'm not weird. Your olfactory senses are the most connected to memory, okay? This is scientific, you know, really, really good stuff, all right? I'm not a stalker. But what you smell is so directly connected to your memories, and so I would smell this soap, and it was just like vivid 3D color, well, 2D color, memories of Laura and, you know, her, everything about her and, and her things, the, you know, journals that I read, just kidding. Okay, there was one, but and I just longed for, anticipated for her return and her arrival. And what a day, right? When she the plane arrives and I'm watching it, you know, on the internets all the way across the ocean, and finally it gets to Denver, and I get there, and it's like this uh, <laughs> amazing, amazing experience. Resurrection at the heart of it is everything 
that we long for and anticipate for the human experience. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says that Christ is the first fruit of what is to come. He is the first fruit of resurrection life that God intends for all of creation. Jesus and the resurrection are the down payment on what was guaranteed at the cross and at resurrection, the guarantee of what God will do. God will do and wants to do what he did for Jesus at Easter for anyone and everyone and everything in Christ. So when Jesus comes up out of the grave, it is a down payment, it is a guarantee, it is a mark, it's a seal of what will happen in the future for everyone in Christ. It is the beginning of new creation. It's the inauguration of a new world. It's the start of something brand new in the midst of what's broken and dark and and horrible, oftentimes. Resurrection wraps up for us this hope and this longing and the hope of the Christian story that despair is not the only option, that death does not win, and we know it's true when Jesus rises from the dead. Our desire, our longing, and our anticipation that we feel as human beings. If you've ever had that moment where there's this ache in your heart like, oh, it does not have to be that way, or oh, it could be this way. The root of that, the genesis of that, the beginning of that is traced all the way back to the moment when Jesus breathes again and he rises from the dead. And everything that we anticipate and long for and hope for as humans in this world is wrapped up in that moment of resurrection. I think Jesus can be trusted. I think God's on the move. I think that longing and anticipation are at the heart of this thing. Look at verses 16 to 18. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Period. There's no periods in Hebrew, by the way. Uh, I don't know about Greek. I think there is, but it goes right to verse 18 and it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on earth is invested in me. Therefore, go make disciples. Don't miss this, gang. Jesus comes up out of the grave. He gathers his disciples and Matthew makes it a point to tell us that some believed and some doubted. Some believed and said, this is true. And some, hi, sweetie, hi, thank you. Is that for me? Resurrection, baby. Keep that right there. The disciples are gathered around. Jesus says, uh, some say, we believe it's true, and some doubted. Some had questions. What we get in Matthew's story is this, he says, some doubted, and then it goes right on to, and Jesus told them, all authority is invested in me, go make disciples. So whether or not this actually happened in real life, the, the, author, the, the authorial intent or what we get in Matthew's account is some doubted and Jesus just doesn't even acknowledge it. He just says, this is what's true. Authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. What I want to say to you this morning is this. Jesus declares what's true and he tells them how to respond and live. I'm all for apologetics. Apologetics is this idea of like defending your faith, having reasonable argument for the things that you believe to be true, so on and so forth. But the more and more I read scripture, the less I see it. The more and more I read scriptures, the less I see people trying to make a case for Jesus. 
right? The only real time that I can think of is, is Paul in, in, in Acts 17 where he's talking to the Greeks and he does this whole deal about the, Areop- or the poets and so on and so forth. And he says, the one who you worship that you don't know is this Jesus, okay? Beyond that, there's really not a lot of cases where we find people trying to make a case for Jesus. Rather, they demonstrate the love of God they've experienced in Jesus and then they just announce what's true. They demonstrate what they've experienced in Jesus, new life, resurrection, redemption, restoration, reconciliation, all these beautiful things. They demonstrate that by their acts of service, their hands, their feet, their mouths, their words, their lives, and then they just announce what's true. Demonstrate and announce. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We think this is so critical to what it means to be the church that we've pretty much built this entire thing on it. Awaken exists to demonstrate and announce the way of Jesus in the world, period, and that's it. So you won't find me, you won't find us trying to build this case of the you know, three proofs for the existence of God. It's not worth it. Demonstrate and announce the reality that's here. Here's what I want to say about this. For some of you this morning, you find yourself in a camp with those who doubted in this passage. And I want to just say to you, I want to give you permission to doubt and to ask questions. I want to be honest and I want to, I want to be authentic. I want to honor the journey And the process to doubt if you have doubts and to question if you have questions because we value authenticity. We talk about this idea that it's okay to not be okay at Awaken. And here's the thing. If we believe that in God exists all truth, then what will you find when you get to the bottom if that's actually true? Not a trick question, friends. What will you find? Truth, which is wrapped up in God. If if, if what God is, is everything that's true and right about this world, if you question and if you doubt and you have problems and you wrestle with it, you wrestle it to the ground, if you do that with authenticity and you keep going until you find truth, what will you find? You will find God. So we, I don't need to convince you. I don't need to harangue you. I don't need to try to manipulate you because I believe with everything that I have that if you wrestle authentically and with integrity that what you will find is God. So doubt away. Ask the questions you need to ask. Don't believe it at first. Wrestle with it. If I say it, it doesn't mean it's true. I'm, my wife will tell you, I'm an idiot sometimes. And that does not stop because I come here and stand here with a microphone. <laughs> if you need to doubt, doubt. I want to look at one last thing that we find in John chapter 20. And this is, a, this is a tricky little spot. John chapter 20. This is John's version of the resurrection. John 20 verse 10 says this. And then I'm done here. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabone, which means teacher. Does anybody catch what she mistakes Jesus for? gardener. This gets really juicy really fast. Mary thinks that Jesus is the gardener. Now, a very small detail that we could pass over, that we could dismiss as sort of like, oh, so what, right? But I don't think it's out of the question 
based on literary evidence that we find in other places in the Gospels and in the Scriptures to believe that this was completely intentional on John's part. Why a gardener? Why in a garden? (laughs) Genesis chapter 1 begins with a God who creates, breathes life into his creation. And it all happens in a garden called delight. Eden is Hebrew for delight. So the beginning of the story is God creating life, flourishing, beautiful, life-giving life. And it happens in a garden. Paradise is lost in Genesis 3. Paul talks about Jesus as the new human, the second Adam, what is the first thing that this new human experiences? A garden. The first moment of new creation, Mary finds Jesus in a garden. (laughs) This is so brilliant. Resurrection makes possible what was always meant to be. When Jesus comes up out of the ground, a new potential, a new possibility, a seed has been planted which carries inside of it, within it, the potential for new life. And the new life that's spoken of in the scriptures that Jesus has, that he he accomplishes at resurrection, is this new thing called new creation, Paul says. And in that moment when Jesus comes up out of the grave... There is a definitive statement made to evil, to death, and all that it brings that no power or force is able to keep this Jesus from inaugurating, from starting, from beginning new creation. Resurrection stands in the face of that which is certain in our life, which is death, and it says you do not win, and it claims that there is more. It claims that this is not the end of the story, that this is not all that there is, and that this world and the way that it works is not the sum total of our existence. Resurrection makes possible what was always meant to be, which is flourishing life in a garden called delight. This, my friends, is what was meant to be. And resurrection leans into the microphone and says, here it comes. (laughs) 